not too long ago, I heard a word that I don't think I'd ever heard of before, and I don't know if you've heard of it either. It's two words, actually, and it's called hurry sickness. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a literal thing. It was first coined, I think, back in the 60s. It was when a cardiologist was having his office sort of updated, and he was having the seats in the waiting room reupholstered. And the upholsterer came to him and, and said, hey, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that the chairs, honestly, are in great shape except for the front edge of the chair. The front edge of the chair is worn out, and it's as if... All these people that are in the waiting room are so stressed out. And I guess you would be, honestly, if you're going to see a cardiologist. Like, rarely do people say, hey, this would be a fun thing to do today. But apparently, these people in the waiting room were so stressed out that they're literally sitting on the edge of their chair. So the only part of the chair that's wearing out was the front edge. And so he started calling it hurry sickness. And since then, it's actually become diagnosable. It's a, a, a literal thing that's in the book of diagnosis. I, I'm drawing a blank on the right word, but you get what I'm saying, that you, you can actually be labeled this. This is an actual thing that you can have. Here's a couple of definitions for hurry sickness. It's a behavior pattern that is characterized by the continual rushing and anxiousness. Anybody rush here this morning? I was running late this morning, so I found myself rushing down Peachtree Industrial, and then I was meeting with Chuck or with Zach right before the first service, and we were hanging out here, and we were behind. I was like rushing through it. Listen to the second definition of, of hurry sickness, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Anybody? There's a book that came out a few years ago from one of our friends, a guy named John Mark Comer, and a lot of our staff and a lot of our leadership team has read it, and it's this title called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the phrase, the ruthless elimination of hurry, actually comes from a conversation that one of his mentors was having uh, with uh, a psychologist that's written a ton of books on spiritual growth and spiritual health, a guy named Dallas Willard. He's a psychologist in California. He's written a ton of books about how we change in Christ. And so uh, John Mark's uh, mentor called Dallas Willard and said, hey, Dallas, back when he's still alive, said, hey, Dallas, um, I just feel like my life is out of order. I just feel like I'm sort of out of sorts. I feel like, man, there's just something going on. How, how do I get back on track was essentially the question he was asking him. And when he asked him the question, Dallas just had this long pause on the phone, which apparently was sort of his, his norm, right? Just a thoughtful pause. And then after the pause, Dallas responded to this question about how do I get my life back in order? He said, look, um, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual growth. And then he said that line that the book is based off of, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And so this guy that had called him was taking notes on that. Okay, step one, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And then he asked the follow-up question. He said, what else should I do? And apparently there's a long pause again. And then Dallas said, that's it. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but if I were to ask the question, what is the number one thing that is fighting against our spiritual health today? I'm not sure that hurry would show up on the list. Would it show up on yours? I mean, I, I'm thinking about if somebody were to ask me, what is the great thing that's going to undo us spiritually as we talk about the series that Pastor Chuck's been in called Fresh Air? 
If I was to think about what are the things that are destroying our spirituality, I would say the polarization of the world that we're in. I would say there's so many people that are just angry right now. I would talk about mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, booster or no booster, politics and, and, and closures. And I, when I think through all the things that attack us, I think about the attack on the home and attack on marriages and, and the removal of gender. And I would think about all of these kind of things, but to say hurry is the enemy of our spiritual lives? Honestly, it wouldn't have been on my list. But the longer I've thought about it, I actually think it's true. When I think about what God is trying to do inside of us, that for most of us, at least in our context, maybe not everybody around the world, but in our context, I think there's so many of us that our schedules are so jam-packed and our families are running in so many different directions. And because of our devices and all these things, we are on so much of the time that it's impossible for us to slow down. And it's impossible for us to have margin in our life so that if God showed up today and said, hey, here's something I want you to do, for most of us, we wouldn't even have the bandwidth to attack it. And I feel like a hypocrite talking about this because I told you I was running late this morning and I was rushing to get to church and I was uh, sort of agitated at the person in front of me on PIB. And yet for all of us, I feel like there's some level of anxiety from this contagion called hurriness. And what's interesting is that for us in the church, our model is Jesus. We're in this year-long journey of saying we want to walk with Jesus, we want to be with Jesus, we want to be like Jesus. And what's interesting, when you read the accounts of Jesus in Scripture, you don't see Jesus in a rush. You don't see Jesus stressed out. You don't see Jesus being like, oh, I can't believe. You don't see him pulling out his phone and sort of talking to you, but sort of texting somebody and, and rushing off. Instead, you see Jesus fully present with people. In fact, one of the passages I read this morning in my quiet time was from Mark chapter five, where this leader came to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you come and help my daughter? She's sick. And so Jesus packs up his stuff and he goes and on his way to heal this guy's sick daughter, somebody else stops him, this lady with an issue of blood, and she touches Jesus in the middle of the rush to get to this guy's daughter, Jesus stops and asks the question, who touched me? And if I were the guy whose daughter is about to die, I'd be like, come on, Jesus, come on. We got to hurry. She's got moments left. And yet Jesus walked intentionally, healed this lady, shows up and he ends up healing this guy's daughter. In fact, another encounter is with his friend Lazarus. He was close friends with Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't just somebody that he sort of knew. He was close friends with them. And so there came a moment where uh, Lazarus' sister sent word to Jesus, Jesus, hurry up. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Your friend, the person you care about, the person you're close with, he's sick, he's gonna die. And yet Jesus, the Bible says, stayed a couple of days longer where he was. He didn't shut down what he was doing. He kept doing what he was doing. And then he, by the time he shows up, you know how the story goes. By this time, Lazarus has died. And so when Jesus shows up, uh, the sisters of Lazarus come out. And one of the sisters says to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had had your calendar straight, if you had your priorities right, if you would have just dropped everything you're doing and rushed on over here, he would have been alive. And then the shortest verse in scripture is that Jesus wept. He felt the emotion of that moment. And yet he brought him back to life. 
And so for us today, the question as we think about week three of fresh air, is there a better way? Is there a way? If you feel frantic, if you feel stressed, if you feel like you're always thinking about what's next and you're not able to be present, is there a different way? And I'm so grateful. There's so many places in Scripture that we could look. But today, we're going to look at one specific example of what Jesus said to people that felt hurried and rushed and anxious. And it comes right out of Matthew chapter 11. In fact, if you have a Bible, if you have the app and want to follow along, this is the tail end of Matthew 11. In fact, if you're able to, if you don't mind, could we just stand together as we read Scripture together this morning, as we listen to the words of Jesus In the middle of the craziness of everything else that was going on, here's what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, would you help us to hear from you today? Would you help us to learn how to unhurry our lives? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Now, again, I I told our worship team when we met before the the day got started, I said, this may be the worst received message on the planet. Uh, everybody in the room might be like, this is so dumb. This may be only for me. So if that's true, I'm sorry. Uh, we're grateful Pastor Chuck's going to be teaching <laughs> next week, right? So, so if, that's, if that's you, just, just wait. It's going to get better. But if, for the rest of us, if this is something that you feel, the frantic pace, the stressed out, man, there's a couple of things I'd love for you to grab today. So if you want to write them down or follow along in the app, the first one is, number one, when we think about this idea of a hurried life, the first sort of truth is that it honestly robs us of balance. It robs us of balance. And when I talk about balance, I'm not talking about the idea that everything's going to fit nice and neat in our calendars. I mean, if you've got little ones, you know that there's no nice, neat little thing on your calendar. If you've got uh, teenagers, you know there's not nice, neat little edges. There's going to be messes. But here's, here's sort of my thought behind balance. Balance is giving the appropriate amount of attention to the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. I know that's a lot of appropriates in one sentence, but the idea of balance is you want to show up in the right way at the right time with the right people, the right task. You want to be able to have the the capacity to be present at the right thing at the right moment. And what happens for a lot of us when we're hurried all the time, we're not able to show up in an appropriate way. We're not connected to our feelings and our emotions. We're not connected to uh, what, what it is that it means for us to show up at the right way for our spouses and for our kids and for our workplace. It robs us of that balance. Listen to what Jesus says at the first part of this phrase. He says in verse 28, come to me. Who is it that he's asking to come? He says, all who are weary and burdened. And the question is, well, who is that? Well, in Jesus' day, that was most people. In Jesus' day, there's people like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, 
technically were good people. They started out with good intentions. They, they went through the Old Testament and they found the Ten Commandments and they found these rules, these codes of walking with God. And what ended up happening is they saw all of these rules and all these codes. And so their idea was, we don't want you to break any of those things. And so they put rules in front of the rules. They put like guardrails in front of the guardrail. They're like, hey, if this is the rule that God has for us, we don't want you to cross that line. So we're gonna put another barrier up so you don't cross that line. Then another barrier And so it started out with good intentions, but what ended up happening over time is it became more about rules than relationship with God. Does that make sense? Then instead of helping people experience the life of Jesus, instead of helping people connect with God, it ended up keeping them further away. And so what ended up happening is they went through the Old Testament and they found the Ten Commandments. Then eventually they come to the Old Testament and they came up with 613 rules. And then later they went through and they found some nitpicky stuff. And so they had over a thousand rules and regulations. And so there's a lot of people that were in the crowd that Jesus is talking to that have been trying to do all those a thousand things. There's people in the crowd that were trying to do all those things and they felt so empty. And Jesus said, come to me who are weary and I will give you rest. Now, what's interesting, when I started thinking about it in our generation, I was like, well, how would you know if you've got hurry sickness? How would you know? And so there's a book called The Time Cure. It actually gives three symptoms for hurry sickness. Symptom number one is when you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. Anybody done that? Symptom number two, counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the lane that has the least cars or is going faster. Anybody not afraid to admit that? Symptom number three, multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Anybody done that? I don't mean to be an armchair psychologist, but I think we all have hurry sickness. Are you with me? And so here's what it does, it robs us. Let me give you some some words that describe the robbing that hurriness does. The first one is just simply stress. When we're stressed, we are too tired to actually do what life is giving, the things that give life to our soul. When we're stressed, we're we're, we're just at this place where Instead of being, finding things that give us life, we find things that numb us out. We find things that, whether it's binge watching Netflix or browsing social media over and over again or surfing the web or, or uh, entertaining other relationships or looking at porn or whatever that thing is, a lot of times what ends up happening when somebody is stressed is they try to self-medicate and try to numb themselves out with something else that leads to stress. A second symptom for us is strain. Strain is when we don't know how to stop, or worse yet, we don't want to stop. We are always on. We're always trying to be more productive. We're always trying to multitask. We're always, 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 always trying to accomplish something and make something happen. And the danger of that, of course, is we're fatigued. We're humans. We've got limitations. And so if we're trying to always be on all the time, what typically happens is we're on for everybody else except for the ones that are closest to us. So we get home from work and we're empty and we're, we're just tired and we're grouchy and, and all of these things. The third uh, symptom is strife. Strife is when we get mad or frustrated or just annoyed a little too easily. 
And you probably know what I mean by a little too easily. I can always tell when I'm not in a good place, when I'm not well rested. One dumb example is the other day I made a little protein shake. I got some of the powder on our new countertops and I knew I needed to wipe it up. I went to get a paper towel and of course we were out of paper towels and I just like lost it internally. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have to walk 15 whole feet to get a new roll? Anybody? Is that just me? This is like counseling time with Pastor Bobby. Thank you for being part of it. We should have had a sofa out here or something. But right, where where we just get angry too easily. And one of the litmus tests is not how you show up at work. It's often how do you show up with the people that are closest to you? That sometimes the people that love us the most get to see the worst side of us because of all this. The fourth one is honestly just struggle. Struggle when you actually try to slow down and you actually try to rest, but you find yourself not able to relax. You find yourself tossing and turning and you find yourself uh, you know, watching TV while you simultaneously update social media, while you simultaneously check your email, while you simultaneously uh, uh, shop on amazon.com because there's a deal that you gotta have and it's gonna show up tomorrow if you order in the next 47 minutes. Anybody else but me? And here's the danger of it. It robs our relationships. Here's the danger of it. It robs us of joy and gratitude and appreciation. Honestly, it robs us of wisdom because we don't have the time to think something over. It robs us of everything that's good, our spirituality, our healthy marriages, our family, our thoughtful work, creativity, generosity. There's a lot at stake when we live a life of rushing around. Robs us of balance. Here's a second piece that I've been thinking through is that the remedy to it isn't to download the latest app. The remedy to it isn't just to say, well, uh, here's what I'm going to do. That's my typical response. My typical response when I know something's sort of out of order, I'm like, hey, what app is there? What's the next book I can read? What's the next thing I do? But here's the second truth I'd love for you to grab is it requires right belief. It starts with our mindset, this idea of unhurrying our life and finding a a healthy, sustainable pace. It's a mindset. It requires right belief. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and the next app you download will give you rest. (laughs) Not there in your Bible? Jesus says, I will give you rest. He makes him the center of it. All these rules that the Pharisees are trying to keep, he's like, no, I will give you rest. All the codes that they're trying to keep up with, no, I will give you rest. All the things that we're trying to do, uh, death scrolling social media, Netflix binge watching, endless Facebook commenting, all the things are for me watching silly monkey videos on YouTube. I don't know why I'm into that right now. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Let me give you a couple of things to think about when it comes to this right belief, the shifting to say it's Jesus that we need. Here's the first one, a right belief about salvation. A lot of times when people have grown up in church, when they think about salvation, they only think about the afterlife. And certainly salvation impacts all of eternity. But when Jesus talked about salvation, it was more holistic than just where do you go after you die? It was also about how do you live an abundant life here and now? And so the question is not how do I just have salvation for eternity, but how do I live the full life of Jesus now? It's the free gift that comes from him. And my job isn't to try to earn it, try to try to uh, uh, get my way into 
his presence. My job is just to receive that gift. It starts with this right belief about salvation. It's a free gift. A second thing that we need to believe rightly about when it comes to this is sanctification. Sanctification is this big theological word that just talks about becoming like Jesus. The idea is that the longer we live, the more like Jesus we're supposed to become, that we're supposed to literally look like him. And so the longer we live, the more like him we should become. And so sanctification is this idea that if I'm not dead, then God's not done with changing me. And so I need to have this right belief about salvation. It's holistic. I need to have a right uh, relationship or belief about sanctification, that, that I'm supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. The third one is our belief about the Spirit's role in our life, that when Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm leaving you a comforter, I'm sending you a helper, that at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God steps out of heaven and steps into our heart and begins to live inside of us. And so our job is to abide, to stay close to him, to allow the Spirit of God to empower us. And then a fourth one is to serve. Serve that serving becomes this overflow, that when I recognize I've got this free gift that comes from God, and that over time that gift starts on the inside of me, it's gonna change me from the inside out, that his spirit comes to live inside of me, that empowers me, enables me to live the life that God's called me to live, and then as a result of that, an overflow is I start serving other people. I start putting other people first the way that Jesus did. That instead of saying, I have to serve, it is I get to serve. I get to be part of the kingdom. It starts with the shift in our belief. See, even talking about something like this, there's some people in the room and watching online that are probably, yeah, but Bobby, you don't understand. I mean, I'm a high productive person. That's awesome. Hey, I've got a ton of responsibility. I've, I've got to make it. That's great. I'm not saying that you can't get things accomplished. It's are we getting the right things accomplished? Are we doing the work that God called us to do? So number one, it robs us of balance. Number two, the remedy is to start requiring this right belief. A third thing is that it results in real substance. Here's what Jesus says in verse uh, 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. And so I started thinking about what does that mean, rest for your soul? What does it mean to have less anxiety in your life? And what does it mean not to be always thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next? What does it mean to be able to, to slow down enough that you're actually listening to people and not trying to complete their sentences? What does that feel like to not feel like you always have to be doing something? Well, there's a couple words that I would describe that with. And I'm sorry, I'm an outline preacher guy. So they all start with the same letter. So let me give you some S words to describe it. The first one is supply. This idea that he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. It's sort of like when Jesus prayed, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Give us what we need today. And so if I'm thinking about my schedule and I'm doing what God wants me to do, he's going to give me exactly what I need. And it's going to look different from day to day. There's some days that I'm doing this and I'm teaching. There's a lot of days where I'm in meetings after meetings after meetings. There's some days that I'm doing Zoom calls and all of that. But whatever that day looks like to say, Jesus, give me what I need today, supply. A second word that describes this rest that comes from Jesus is simply strength. Strength where we feel energized. We go through our days with focus. There's some days that 
that I try to do it on my own, I end up tired and worn out. There's other days that I've actually trusted it all to Jesus and I, end, I, I can have a full day, but I still feel fulfilled at the end of that day. Strength. Another word that describes this rest that comes from Jesus is stability, where we feel connected with our hopes and dreams. We feel dialed in to who we are in Christ. We feel connected to the calling that God's placed in our lives. We're able to say yes to the things that God wants us to do. We're able to say no to the tyranny of the urgent. And the last word that I'll give you today that that describes this kind of rest is simply surrender. Surrender, where we feel closer to God and we live from a place of true connection that instead of living for trying to earn his love, we, we live from a place of love. We live from a place of relationship. And so as I've been thinking about all this, and honestly, I, I, Pastor Chuck and I read the book, uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. A lot of our staff did. I've read probably six or seven other books around the same idea, and I've just sort of been processing it and the practical side of me asked the question, yeah, but how? I mean, if we really bought into this idea that, well, it's sort of like the, the creator of Myers-Briggs said that, that hurry is not of the devil. He said, hurry is the devil. If we really believe that hurry is pathological, that it's actually hurting us, that it's actually killing our souls, if we actually believe that, then the question is, well, how would you unhurry? Are there some ways to unhurry? And I've already alluded to the fact that I'm an app junkie. At any given time, if you look up in the about part of your iPhone, it tells you how many apps. The last time I looked, I had like 516 apps. And so my name's Bobby, I'm addicted to apps. <laughs> and there's a lot of great apps, I love them. I'm, I'm, I mean, there's uh, ones based out of scripture, uh, like Soul Space, and we encourage that like crazy. I have apps like Calm, I have apps like Headspace. I, I, I love all of this stuff, but here's what's interesting. There's a lot of books and blog posts and a lot of TED Talks about this stuff, but what's interesting is that if we were just to rewind and ask the question, well, what did Jesus do? Now that seems obvious on a Sunday morning at 11 to ask that question, but hey, I went to Bible college, I got a master's degree in Bible, and I'm just honest enough to admit that that wasn't the first question I asked. My first question was, what book can I read? What podcast episode can I listen to? Is there a TED Talk I can download? Is there, right? And, and it was only recently that I began to ask the question, well, how did Jesus pace himself? And not surprisingly, Jesus models what this kind of life looks like. And so here's the last big idea. Number four is that this idea of slowing is recovered in the basics. And the reason why I call them the basics is because there are some habits, there are some um, things that people in church history have done for thousands of years. We're not the first believers on the planet. There's thousands of years of church history of people just like you and just like me trying to figure out how do you live an intentional, non-anxious life. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke was basically a way of saying, take my teaching upon you. See, when Jesus was on this earth, most people that didn't recognize him as the son of God or as the Messiah, they still respected him as a rabbi or as a teacher. And what would happen for rabbis or teachers is that there was more rabbis and teachers out there than just Jesus. There's lots of them. And what would happen is uh, the cream of the crop 
would rise up in their day and age and they would, they would go to their favorite rabbi and say, can I become your disciple? Or maybe a more modern way of thinking about it is, can I become your apprentice? I wanna learn from you, I wanna learn your craft. And so what would happen in Jesus's day is other rabbis would be out there teaching and all of these people would come to them and say, hey, can I be your disciple? Can I be your apprentice? I wanna walk with you. I wanna learn from you. I wanna do life like you. And so every rabbi would take sort of their understanding of the Old Testament and they would sort of run it through their version of a big idea. They would take all of this teaching and they say, here's the thing I wanna emphasize. Here's the thing that resonates. And that became known as their yoke. It became the filter And Jesus, when he shows up, he flipped the script where what would happen for most people, for other rabbis, the cream of the crop would rise to the surface and they would go to the rabbi and say, can I become your disciple? Jesus flipped the script. And instead of picking the people that were top of the class and people that had it all together, he went to those that were overlooked by the other rabbis. And instead of waiting for them to come to him and say, can I follow you? Jesus flipped the script and said, I want you to follow me. Come and follow me. He picked the overlooked. He picked the least likely, and he brought them. And so for three and a half years or so, they apprenticed with Jesus. They walked with Jesus to to say, I want to spend time with you. I want to learn from you. I want to do what you did. And so when Jesus calls out to these people, he says, come to me, take my yoke, my understanding upon you and learn from me. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I heard a friend say it this way. He said, it's impossible to live the life of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. So let me give you just a couple ways Jesus models this. There's, there's far more. If you wanna dig more into this, just drop me an email this week, bobby at sugarhillchurch.com. But here's four practices that we see, four habits that were in Jesus' life. The first one is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Jesus had the most important mission on the planet. I think you'd agree with me, saving the world from their sins. Jesus had the most important uh, message on the planet, the most important mission on the planet. Yet, after ministry opportunities, we often find Jesus in Scripture retreating away for silence and solitude, for times of prayer. What would happen if you and I said, hey, I'm going to try that this week. I'm going to try to build in a little silence and solitude. Maybe it's Friday night at dinner, hey, just for this next hour, I'm gonna turn my phone off or I'm gonna put it on do not disturb. Or maybe it's, uh, for me, one of the most life-giving things. At the beginning of the year, I felt sort of frantic, like the, the year ended and the next year started so quickly, I felt sort of, sort of out of sync. And so for me, I've gotten up a little bit earlier every day where I just, well, let me be honest. First, I brew a cup of coffee. Can I get an amen on that? Because nothing good happens till... So I have uh, some good coffee. And then secondly, I just have time where I'm not rushed, where I can read a little bit of scripture and just be present for a little bit of time. Maybe that's a practice that you would try. Jesus modeled this, silence and solitude. A second one is scripture. We don't know much about the first 30 years of Jesus' life, but what we do know is once his ministry started and he was led to the desert to fight Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, every time the devil tempted him, Jesus always responded by quoting from what? from scripture. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more so should we build scripture into our life to say, Jesus, I want to know scripture so that I can live it out, memorize it, apply it. A a third one, this one I'm actually really terrible at, but I think is a great practice for us is singing, singing. Sometimes people wonder, why do we sing so much? I mean, we don't go anywhere else. You know, you don't go to, um, 
you know, a, a baseball game and say, hey, let's all sing for 30 minutes, right? That doesn't happen. But there's something powerful about singing. There's something powerful about singing. When I've been walking with something all week long and then I come to church and I run what I'm bringing, my life, my real life, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, when I bring it and sing words like lay your burdens down, that's really, really powerful. I'm terrible at singing. I am tone deaf and I don't say tone deaf like, ha ha, he can, you know, he's a little off key. I'm terrible. There's a cool app on the app store that's by, um, (laughs) wow. Tyler, can you take my phone from me and lock down the app store? But I saw a commercial a couple weeks ago from Smule. It's like a karaoke app that supposedly has auto-tune built in. So you can sing your favorite song. So I was like, hey, that'd be fun. Let me try it. I downloaded it. I sang the song. And even with auto-tune, it sounded terrible. But I still come and I still sing the words because they're so powerful. A fourth one is Sabbath. We see Jesus honor the Sabbath and I don't want to get all technical about whether the Sabbath is a New Testament thing or not, but man, if God modeled what it was like to work hard for six days and then had an intentional day that focused on rest and worship, I think, man, there's something we could learn from that. What if we organized our week where instead of uh, our days off being some of our busiest days, sometimes people joke, I need to go back to the office because it's been so busy around. What would happen if we slowed enough in such a way that we could rely that the world does not revolve around us. That there is a God and we're not him. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we said, I wanna adopt the lifestyle of Jesus? What would happen if we begin to say, man, maybe I can't do all four of these things or maybe I can't do some of the other ones that we find in church history, but what would happen? What would happen even if the most skeptical person in the room or online today said, I'm just gonna pick one to try. What if this week you picked one thing to say, I'm going to try to hurry. Maybe it's not my list. Maybe it's you're going to be a weirdo and uh, intentionally get behind the longest line of cars at the traffic light. I mean, when I read that list earlier, I was like, isn't that normal to find the shortest line? When I go to the store and I see a checkbook, I'm like, nope, I'm in a different lane. The 80s are calling. But what if, what if in a healthy way we put some limits in our life to say, instead of rushing, I walked intentionally and lived my life at the speed of relationship. Can you imagine how different our lives would be if we moved from busyness to margin, from hurry to slowness, from noise to quiet, from isolation to deep relationships, from Crowds to time alone, from distraction to delight, from envy to enjoyment, from confusion to clarity. What a gift for us to move from greed to gratitude, from discontentment to contentment, from worry to trust, from anger and angst to love. Instead of working for love to working from love, instead of working as accumulation to work as contribution, what would happen if we lived at the speed of relationship? And I just want to encourage you as one person that's addicted to apps to another that maybe has an addiction to something else. There's a gift in slowing down. Can I pray for us this morning? I want to pray for us. Then I've asked Pastor Zach and our team to come back and for us not to rush out of here, but to be able to allow these truths to drop in our head and our heart and to bring them to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my friends 
I thank you so much for the life that you offer us. I thank you that when we are heavy and burdened, that we can bring that to you. Father, I pray that today you would help all of us, myself included, to not just know about your life, but that we would pace our lives after your lifestyle. Help us to at least try some of these habits to slow down the frantic pace of our life and to live at a pace that honors you. In just a moment, we're gonna stand. In just a moment, we're gonna sing. I'm gonna invite you. Would you allow these words to refocus our heads and our hearts off of our to-dos, off of the stress, and to fix our eyes on Jesus? Father, we give this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.